0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sunshines. You are listening to the Evolvepreneur After Hours podcast, and I am your host, Christine Campbell-Rappin, and I am on a complete and utter mission to help more entrepreneurs make a difference. It is about navigating the world of startup, relaunch, plot twists, and reinvention. Join me today. We're going to be digging deep with our guests so that you can get the best concepts, strategies, insights to help you apply the lessons learned to fast track your business. Today, our guest is Phil Paluccia. Super excited because he's got a really interesting journey and a really exciting future. He is the CEO and founder of Billionaires and Boxers and the Billionaire Broadcast Network. He has a ranked number one globally for the B2B consultants. He is an eight-figure authority. He has a top 5% TV and podcast host, and he is the future owner of Liverpool FC. He's a footy fan, my friends. So please give a very warm welcome, Phil. Welcome to our show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's going to be lots of fun.
0: It is going to be lots of fun. So I always want to know, you know, I know you've got this amazing journey, but take me back to the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Did you envision the life that you have now when you first started out, the world of entrepreneurship, the world of reinvention? And if not, how on earth did the light bulb first dawn that this could be the path forward for you?
1: Uh, um, definitely not. Um, I think is my initial answer. Uh, so my career was already mapped out in front of me. As far as I was concerned, I was going to be a professional football player until mid thirties. Then I was going to be a coach and then I was going to be a TV pundit. And then I was going to retire. Um, that was my career mapped out for me. And then a injury in my late twenties, sorry, my late teens, early twenties had me medically retired. Um, so I was no longer a football player. And I had to try and reinvent myself. And I went into coaching thinking, well, I'll just move the next stage of my career forward 20 years. And I hated it. Um, I often use the expression, it was like being a recovering alcoholic, trying to manage a bar. Um, You know, it was just the worst environment for me. I wanted to be on the field, not at the side of the field. So I went and retrained, did a surveying degree in business, worked with some of the world's largest corporate brands at executive level. And that was great. Um, and then around the same time that I decided I wanted to do my own thing, my wife felt pregnant and my mum got stage four cancer and we were living about 8,000 kilometers away from her at the time. Um, so we ended up relocating back to the UK, uh, having just set up a business, just left a salary position that was very comfortable. And, uh, to be honest, I think the first six months would be thinking I'd made a massive mistake. Maybe I wasn't cut out to be an entrepreneur. Um, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Uh, You know, I had no idea how to win clients. I mean, it sounds really funny now when you look back on it, but like things like I didn't know that clients didn't pay invoices on time. This was completely new to me. Um, I had no idea that people say yes to you and then don't do things. Like that was also completely new to me. So, and the concept of marketing for clients was like just completely alien to me. Given the brands that I'd worked for, My idea of business development was reading my emails and picking the project I wanted to work on. I had no idea I had to go and find people. Um, And it turns out that it doesn't matter how well you did in the corporate world, that reputation rarely goes with you. (laughs) It doesn't really mean very much when you go off on your own. Um, So I had no intention of being, uh, I mean, I think I was always pretty entrepreneurial, but I had no intention of doing what I do today. Um, I certainly had no intention of being a consultant. That was not, what I thought I was gonna do, um, it was one of those things where I have a skill for it and help a lot of people. And every time I think about leaving, someone else that I really like and respect asks for my help. I help them do a great job, and then I get recommended to more people. And I, I, I think the best way of saying this is, I've been doing consulting now for the past six years. We've been ranked number one in the world for five of those years, and every single one of those years, I've been trying to leave. <laughs>
0: Oh, I love it! You know, this is an interesting one because I, I just had a conversation with somebody this morning who is eyeing up a possibility of becoming a business owner, and the terror of I don't know, have any idea what I'm doing. I'm like, uh huh, yeah, that's normal. Uh, yeah, even when you think you anticipate it, and I think this is one of the biggest things. The light bulb does go on. Sometimes it's early in the journey. Sometimes it's really late. Is your business will be built on strangers? You may have oh, had yeah. a great reputation as a footballer or as a business you know, in the world of corporate. And you're right. It doesn't always translate because they said, I still respect you and admire you, but that doesn't mean I'm going to open my wallet as yeah. your client in this new capacity. So I appreciate your candor there because that is a good light bulb for our audience.
1: Well, f- funny, funny story that one of the big corporates that I'd worked for, um, they were having a problem after I had left. And it was a problem in the department that I had previously ran globally. So a CEO got in contact with me and said, I, I know you're a consultant now. Would you mind almost doing this in a consultant capacity? Like, come and help us fix the problem. So I was like, OK, well, this is weird because essentially I've now just started working from home. I'm still going to get paid by the same company and do the same work with the same people. But why not? I get to be at home. And then um, the contract got sent to the human resources department who rejected it. And they rejected it because they had a company policy internationally that said that you had to be in business for more than two years before they were allowed to engage with your services. So despite the fact the CEO was like, it was his job, like he designed the department, they still wouldn't engage with me. Um, And that was somebody that knew exactly what I'd done because they'd approached me and I'd been doing it for them. So no, believe me, there is a... I often joke and say the reason I'm a good consultant is because I've tried all the wrong doors. So my clients don't have to, um, there's not been much luck involved in this. It's just been pure resilience. Like every time I, I always say, I learn or I earn. And if you're going to fall, fall forward. Cause believe me, there's a lot of falling over in this game.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of graft. There is a lot of figuring it out. So I'm curious, you know, take us back to When, you know, how did you approach finding your first client when you start to go, okay, so I'm doing this? I mean, you talked about this story where someone came back hunting for you, and obviously your Mm -hmm. reputation builds, and Mm -hmm. that can be a great accelerator for future worlds you've never imagined. But the first conversation, this is sometimes the biggest hurdle. It's like, how on earth do I actually find
1: clients? Yeah. So, so for me, it was, um, it was going back to something I'd previously done. So um, whilst being in the corporate world, my attachment to the world of sport, um, well, there was another one because I ran a coaching exchange program, but that's something separate. Um, I had started, grown, and sold two sports podcasts. And one of the things that I found phenomenal about sports podcasting was it was a VIP networking tool to network with anybody I wanted to. It was like a VIP backstage to networking. And one night, I almost had that epiphany where you wake up in the middle of a night and go, wait, if I can meet the best players and managers in the world on a sports podcast, why can't I meet clients on a business podcast? So I had a very primitive strategy. I made a list of the top 100 companies that I wanted to work with, and I invited each of their CEOs onto a podcast to discuss two things. Number one, themselves, because everyone loves to talk about themselves. And number two, their business and where they were going over the next five years, because they're paid to talk about their business. Well, I did that pretty religiously for, well, a long time, but fast forward three months from when I started and I have 21 people working for me full-time globally trying to deliver the work we've picked up because we've bitten off way more than we can chew. I mean, at at one point it was me and another firm in tender for a contract. They employ 10,000 people and I employ six and they lost it to me. Um... And I remember having this weird moment of, woohoo, that's great. Oh my God, how the hell do we deliver that? Um, And it was scaling very quickly. So for me, that was kind of the start of a a real journey with networking. And ever since then, I've I've used podcasting and networking and broadcast, which is where the broadcast network came from, for pretty much absolutely everything. I mean, if if I said to your listeners that I've used this for Hotel upgrades, restaurant reservations, flight upgrades, like I would not be kidding. I've used podcasting and networking for absolutely everything. But um, there's a reason why, as an individual, I've been ranked number one in the world in three separate sectors. And it's nothing to do with my knowledge. It's all to do with my networking. Um, You know, they're saying it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm -hmm. It's actually both. Um, If you don't know the right people, but you know the right things, you're your industry's best kept secret and you go broke. If you know the right people, but you don't know the right things, you've got loads of friends, but you're making no money. Um, So it's both of those things. You have to know what you're doing, but you also have to know the right people to really facilitate that growth. And my focus very quickly became on how do you grow those relationships? How do you use law of reciprocity to go left when everybody else is going right? Um, And that's pretty much what's led us to where we are today.
0: Well, I want to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to say that moment of, holy Dinah, Mm. we have bitten off more than we can chew because it it sounds, you know, reading your bio and knowing we have the momentum that has built very quickly, Mm -hmm. whether it was the sports podcast, whether it is the current business and just the general consulting that came your way. Mm -hmm. When you have that moment of, that's amazing, but, oh, yikes, what the hell do we do now? Mm. Take us through like, how do you gain control of the overwhelm and mm. get movement? What's the best advice you would give to our audience around that crisis point? Because that is where you make or break your reputation.
1: That's the moment where you get the best out of me. And I get the best out of me in that moment. That's that's the moment where it sounds really strange, but where I'm in most control, Um because it's you know going back to the sports analogies, it's the moment that you've just scored a goal and there's ten minutes left of the game and you've just got to figure out how to implement your game plan and how to move on. So it, whilst it sounds ironic in the, and maybe a little bit contradictory, in that moment of sheer panic is the perfect place to find calm, because ninety nine percent of people will start flapping at that moment and just panicking and making rash decisions. That's the moment where I'll go and meditate, I'll sit, I'll calm down, I'll say, this is the game plan, we stick to the game plan, I don't care how quickly it happens, I don't... We, we are sticking to the game plan. Um, because if you think, going back to the sports analogy, if at that moment, 11 players on the pitch all just start running around panicking and having heart palpitations, well, you're going to concede a goal again pretty quickly, and you're going to lose the lead whereas if everybody stays completely calm and settled back the other team have to take the pressure the other team have to take the nerves and try and handle it with their way so that moment of utter carnage is the perfect moment for calm because the the thing is you know everyone's heard the expression you can't fight fire with fire well you can't fight carnage with carnage either Um, you know, you need to remain calm in that situation. And there are, there are certain situations in business where remaining calm is not your best friend and you need to move quickly and you need to take action. Often when you're first getting started and there's nothing happening, that is not the time to sit still and go, well, it'll be fine. No, get off your backside and do some work. Right. But when you're in that situation, like I was on, Hundreds of occasions throughout our business, we've just won this client. It's like, oh my God, this is our first million dollar client. I don't know what I'm doing. It's the moment to stay calm. It's the time when someone picks up the phone and says, Phil, we know you've got a TV network that reaches 10 million people. We're selling ours for you know X that reaches another 12 million people. Are you interested? And it's like, well, I'm going to say yes, because it's a good opportunity. We're going to get the deal done. And I have no idea what I'm going to do with another 12 million homes that I've now got a service and all fine we'll sort that out later but you know the the there was a saying and i can't even remember who said it but there was a saying that that really stuck with me a long time ago and someone says if anybody ever offers you a great opportunity say yes and figure out how to do it later and, and i i think that's a great way to be and actually sometimes if not always honestly is the best policy like the amount of times i've said to partners and clients like Uh, this is not crystal clear in my mind right now. It will be, but this is a new challenge for me. I'm going to need a little bit of time to figure this out. They have so much respect for people who say that rather than the fake it till you make it. Oh yeah, I know exactly what I'm doing. It's like, if if I told you that I knew exactly what I was doing with a TV network that reaches 26 million people, I would be a liar. If I told you that I know exactly what I'm doing, running a consultancy that hires 16 people across the world, I would be a liar absolutely i don't but all i know and it's the same with being number one in the world i always say to my team we're not number one in the world today we were number one in the world yesterday today we're still fighting for it but we're going to fight for it by implementing the same game plan and doing the doing the things that work there's a there's a great saying which is successful people repeat successful actions mm-hmm. and that's a mantra that we live by as a business so i will try and find new ways of creating that success but as a team as a business We are not rudderless. We are not directionless. We know where we're going. We know where we're heading, and we know the successful actions that we will take to get us there. Beyond that, we just deal with every crisis as it comes up, and we embrace it.
0: I think there is a great adage, is you know, "Have faith." And I love the the recommendation, you know, play the game plan you had during the calmness, yeah, storm, because there is a a a real tendency to go, you know, it all has to change. And said, no, go back to foundations. Foundations are. Not sexy, but they are the difference maker for longevity. They are the difference for repeated success and they are reputation building and destroying. So I'm curious because you've had some periods where, you know, it sounds great, but, you know, you've had some big bumps that changed your life. You had a health issue. And that really changed your focus because when you are a hands-on leader, Mm -hmm. when you're sitting to your team, we've got this, play the game, use the playbook we have. We know we've got good foundations. We know what's made a successful start there. Mm-hmm. build from there. But when you have to take yourself and sideline yourself unexpectedly, what did you learn about yourself and about how to lead through a hurdle like that?
1: Um, firstly, what did I learn about leading? Um, so there were a couple of people who I thought were going to be with me for a long time who are no longer in my business um, because the second I was no longer there to watch them, they didn't behave in the way that I would have expected or wanted them to. But just as much as that was frustrating there were people in my business who went above and beyond and did things that I never thought a they were capable of or b that they would want to do and um uh, it, it it really showed me that business is a team sport and if you have a bad egg on the team it has the ability to ruin everything so as good as and talented as that player is sometimes it's good to sell them sometimes it's good to get rid of them get them out of the team I would rather have a team of 11 players who are 5 out of 10 on talent but 10 out of 10 on attitude than have one player who's a 10 out of 10 player but a 5 out of 10 on attitude. Um, so that was a big one for me in terms of how I wanted to lead. It was, it was just as much about the quality of people I had surrounding me as it was about the quality of my leadership. The second thing that I realized was about myself and that was what, that was I was a workaholic and it hadn't really occurred to me until that point. Um, Yeah. You know, so I was working six days a week, 12 to 15 hours a day, but because I love what I do, I didn't really see it as work. I was just kind of enjoying myself and having fun. And if I ever was not enjoying one side of my business, I'd go and spend time in the other side of my business. Um, and that was great. And I enjoyed that. I, you know, I, I see businesses winning and losing just like in sports. And, um, it's funny because I, I often tell this to my team. I hate losing more than I love winning. Um, The feeling of winning is great. The feeling of losing is horrific. So I do everything I can to avoid losing as opposed to doing everything I can to win. Um, And as a result, it it really had me having to reflect on everything that was going on in my life. And I think the, the main takeaways from this were when my illness first happened, I remember really distinctly thinking this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. You know, how could this happen to me? Why me? Almost like shaking your fist at the sky. Like why God, why? Um, Now I think it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, You know, I'm, I have a better relationship with my wife because of this. I have a better relationship with my kids because of this. I work two to three days a week um i am off more than i'm in business has never been more profitable and more successful clients have never been happier because i'm when i am with them i'm able to give them 110 percent of me rather than the 30 percent that's left in the tank because i'm burning the candle at both ends um so actually everything has improved as a result of this and i hear a lot of people with this illness say you know i'll come back to the way i was before i will get there i have no interest in that you know for me i'm coming back faster, stronger, because a, lo- a lot of the changes that I've made in my life have made me a healthier individual than I was before I fell ill. So it was a great time of reflection for me. I'm not going to classify it as a near-death experience, although I came close on a couple of occasions. Um, I don't think it's anything as, as scary as that. I don't think I was ever as close to death as I felt. Um, but there was a real fear of what if I never get back? What if this is it now? What if I always feel this way? And that was scary and made me reassess everything that was important. And one of the things that happened as, as a business because of that was, as you know, I came from sport and I was doing some business consulting work within sport. And I, I was like, I'm not doing enough within sport. I love sport. I need to be doing more in the business of sport because I talk about the business of sport and the sport of business. So as a result, we've scaled up our sports consulting brand at the same time as our business consulting brand so that I can spend more of my time excited by the people that I'm working with and working in an industry that truly gets me out of bed and gives me the energy to carry on.
0: I think it's awesome. And, you know, there, there's it's a real big shift to go from saying, hey, I'm a workaholic and don't know it to... I'm working only a couple days a week and you also have forecasted, you know, the hardest bit of the tail end of the year where the push is in saying I'm going to take two months out of my business. Yeah. And so we have to really run at it to make that freedom. But big part of that, I would imagine, has been the structure. And I'm curious, you know, you talked about team and this being a team sport. What was the most important hire you made along the journey that started to really shift you away from being the delivery because your reputation started with you to, yeah. to, you know, a business that is separate and connected to you. Like what was the most important hire do you think you made along the way?
1: The MD. Um, hiring somebody to manage people because managing people is not, is not my best skill. Um, I have very high expectations of myself and I tend to put those onto other people. So out, out on the field, great right, because you're surrounded by people who are constantly trying to achieve better. So they want to be driven forward and kind of, almost whipped into shape um employees don't want that um so it's like jesus this guy's hard work um like on their best so the thing is on my best day like let's say we've had a our first ever million dollar day my thought process doesn't go to let's celebrate my thought process goes to how can we have a two million dollar day how far off is the five million dollar day that's how unfortunately or fortunately either way you look at it is the way that i behave and my brain operates now trying to do that from a management position is a nightmare it's like phil i had a great day i've shattered the sales record it's like great how can you double it like that's not the response that they want (laughs) um so hiring somebody who was really really great at recognizing and rewarding people and actually really great at getting me to to do the same in terms of Feel this person has achieved something awesome. Go and recognize it. And it's like, you're absolutely right. I need to do that because that side of my brain doesn't necessarily fire. Um, so definitely having somebody to, to manage the teams because I have global teams working all over the world remotely, different na- time zones, trying to manage that many people across the world is difficult. Um, and that many projects at the same time. So having somebody who, who is an absolute master when it comes to that, and bringing all those pieces together. Um, was absolutely by far and away my most important hire. Um, Outside of that, I would probably say it's my creative director, a guy called Andy. Um, Andy is the person who can systemize and implement what's going on in my head. Um, He describes it as actioning my genius, which I think is a really nice way of putting it. Cause I'll go, Ooh, we should do this. And it's like, great, but that requires systems and people and processes. And let's, let's take the steps to get on with it. Um, Whereas my head will halfway through planning what we're going to do with that has already moved on to the next idea. So I'm not the person to action it. Um, And I recognize that about myself. So I think that's, that's why when I say business is a team sport, you know, I I was a winger in football. So my job was to run down the wing and put the ball in the box. I wasn't great at defending. I wasn't particularly a good midfielder at winning the ball back. And I could score goals, but not as many as you'd like, right? So the best coaches I ever had said to me, don't practice defending, don't practice goalkeeping, don't practice scoring goals. Just run down the wing every single day, eight hours a day, practicing putting balls in the box to exactly where the striker needs it to score. Focus on your superpower I'll find someone else in the team to do the bits that you're not good at. And that's how I run my business, which is this is core fill. This is, these are my superpowers. These are the bits that I'm best at. Who can I hire or partner with who is equally as good at the parts where I'm weak rather than how do I improve my weaknesses? I think that's a, that's a bad way of looking at business.
0: Yeah, and it can slow down your acceleration for sure because... There are natural strengths. You have to have an understanding of how the pieces connect, but you don't have to have the expert status in every single segment of the engine to be effective. So I'm curious, you know, cast the vision to me. I know you've got this very big expansion on your horizon, and you've got a whole bunch of new things that are going to explosively expand your reach. What is going to be the key to seeing success in the integration as you see it? It's going to be the key.
1: I think it comes down to the overall mission, right? Because I think if everybody's on board with the mission, then we're all heading in the same direction, even if we're taking different actions and different routes to get there. Um, I think if we differ on what the mission is, then we're now we're heading off in separate directions and it's no longer a business. It's just a jumble of people heading off in their own direction, and that's difficult. So for me, it's far more important to not necessarily bring in the right businesses or the right people who have the perfect skill set or know exactly what they're doing at that particular moment, but bring in people that share the same vision and the same mission that I do about wanting to empower the emerging markets, about being very David versus Goliath and championing the underdog, um, you know, ab- about wanting to revolutionize the, the rules for legacy creation. This provided we're all heading in the right direction for that, I think that's, that's been the key to success so far. And as I said earlier, you know, um, successful people repeat successful actions. So until that strategy no longer works, I will keep implementing it.
0: So, guys, you really got to tee up alignment. And not, that's not a one time thing as a leader. This is a really important one. You talk about successfully repeating habits. Getting the team to see the vision, catch the vision, believe in the vision, live the vision is ultimately what will accelerate the growth in your business. It's been super fun to have you as our guest. Guys, this is a wrap of another episode of the Evolvepreneur After Hours podcast. Before you go, a couple of things. Number one, if you loved this episode, we'd love you to give it a five-star review. And consider if you are an entrepreneur being a guest on our show. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes. And we want you to know that if today you're an entrepreneur... Go take action on your dreams. The world awaits, and you must lead from the front. Guys, we will see you on our next episode. Thanks very much, Phil.
1: Thank you so much.